Hello and welcome to the Basketball Champions League Coast to Coast podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hein, and with me, back with me, is partner in crime Igor Jerkovich. Igor, welcome back. Uh, hopefully everything's going well with you. How are you? I'm doing fine. I mean, we had a lot of earthquakes lately in Croatia, but I managed to survive. Everything is fine. Uh, a lot of people lost their homes, so if you know anybody in Croatia, make sure to check up on them and stay in touch and see if you can and how can you help in these days because one part of the Croatia is completely devastated. So hopefully everybody is safe and that's about it. It's a bit chaotic, but I mean, we're, we're getting used to it, which is kind of the best description that I can give you. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing that we're getting used to it in general. I mean, these days with, with COVID, we're, we're getting used to so many different things. Uh, dealing with earthquakes is not something you really ever want to, you know, get used to, I think. Not at all. It's trembling all the time. Oh, God. Insane. Um, all right. Let, let's, let's move to basketball then, um, since this is uh, the, a basketball show. Uh, this past week has been actually pretty crazy. Uh, we had two more teams book their spots in the playoffs with the Barrow Star Tenerife and Casa de Saragossa joining Broza Bamberg. Um, and uh, really a couple of, of, of really surprising games. And uh, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about a couple, uh, a couple of them. Uh, let, let's move really quick into the, the standout performances because there were really some amazing performances this week, week nine. Um, starting off with QJ Peterson from Buckton Bears against Galatasaray, 35 points, seven rebounds, five assists, uh, three steals. Jerry Blakes was fantastic for Cholet in the win over Smoky Minsk, 25 points on 10 of 15, uh, shooting along with four assists and three rebounds. Chris Johnson, uh, phenomenal uh, for for Hapol unit credit alone. Sorry about that. Against Ike with 16 points, 13 rebounds, two assists, and two steals. Robin Benzing uh, had, had played a major role in Saragossa coming back in, a, in their victory over Nizhny Novgorod. 23.6 rebounds, three assists, two steals. And then Georgie Shermandini, um, Tenerife's win over Dimo uh, Sassari with 19 points in 19 minutes and 50 seconds along with six rebounds. Uh, one assist and one block. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, each week I, I try to think about, you know, somebody who, uh, really kind of deserves to, to maybe be in there otherwise. Um, and I don't, I don't really, couldn't really come up with anybody that, that really, uh, had a super legit argument. Um, uh, what'd you, what'd you think on that? Yeah. I mean, you could say Benedict Vara, the ball for somebody, but then again, they blew out Lublin by 10,000 points, so maybe his stats are kind of um, bumped up a bit compared to the opponent and everything that, like, your near triple-double in a 30-point win is probably not as valuable as um, 10 points, 10 assists in a close one or something like that, so maybe stat-wise he could have been there, but, like, when you think about it, when you dig deep under the layer, uh, probably tough to put somebody out from these guys from this team and put him in. May, maybe um, Gregor Rovat from from Cholet with his thirteen point six rebounds, twelve assists, and five steals. But then 
you know, you can't put two Cholet guys, and Blake's was was fantastic. So, anyhow, it's a it's a uh, it's a uh, exercise that uh, you can never really <laughs> you can never really win. So, um, let's move to uh, let's move to the games, and and uh, really, I think we're going to start um, uh, with probably uh, two of the the really in my eyes really really surprising games the way they went um with bucking bears in group a bucking bears knocking off galatasaray 96 78 uh moving to two and three galatasaray knocked out at four and one uh buck bears um came back and won the tiebreaker they were down by uh they had the 10 point loss uh in turkey um and then in the other game was tenerife booking their spot in the in the playoffs with a 115-85 win over Sassari, they dropped to three and one, um, and uh, Tenerife at four and one. Of course, there was the twenty-point victory, the twenty-point meltdown um, by Tenerife late uh, in the in the loss in Italy, and then they come back and 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 uh, go for th- a thirty-point win. Um, just in my eyes, even though two, you know, an 18 point and a 30 point victory, uh, two just really uh, thrilling games in, in so many aspects. Um, I, I'll let you start and I'd go for whichever game uh, you want to start with. Yeah, so basically, Sassari against uh, Tenerife was the perfect game for me to focus on it completely. So I didn't have to watch any other games, didn't have to post anything because everything else was done and I could all like concentrate 100% on it. And it had so much little um, like Easter eggs in it with coaches, Pozeko and Vidoretta trying to outsmart each other. So basically, here's what happened. Uh, Vidoretta doesn't start with Shermadini. He starts with Frangiera. And that's a good idea because it's a, a kind of low risk, high reward because if Gera does nothing and just spends like five minutes on the court, you can still have Shermadini coming off the bench and finishing with 20 points. But it turned out that Guerra had an excellent first half. I think he had like 14 and 7 in the first half. He had 10 in the first quarter. Yeah, and anyway, that's a good thing because not only do you get something out of him, but you kind of tire out Miro Bilan, who is the only mm-hmm. Sassari big guy like the classical five. And when Bilan steps out of the game, then in comes Tillman to try and defend Shermadini. And it was a layup line, just layup after layup after layup for Shermadini. So basically that's the outsmarting that uh, Vidoretta did. Pozzeco did have a good start to the game with an interesting twist because he put his taller guys on the point guards of Tenerife, like guys like Bernal and uh, Trier. They were guarding Petipaldo and Huertas. And that sort of worked, but once Tenerife figured it out, it was game over. So basically... It was a, it was one of the greatest first halves that I've seen because it had so much to talk about. But then in the second half, it was just switching through gears and just the depth of Tenerife is so much wider than the one uh, of Sastari. Like Sastari is limited to seven or eight players. They keep getting injured. They keep getting <laughs> sidetracked and just a bad luck season for them because don't forget that they've been at 3-0 and now they could basically be eliminated if they lose the next one. So it's a bit of bad luck for Sassari and at the same time, it's a testament of strength of Tenerife who can play with 12 guys and destroy you. 
Yeah, um, I, 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 I saw, I saw Tenerife winning this game, but I didn't see them, and I saw them, you know, kind of fighting for that, you know, maybe getting to the twenty point to to maybe get the tiebreaker. But um, you know the resistance or lack of resistance that that uh, that uh, Cesar was able to or not able to provide, you know that just um, you know really I'm not say surprised, but but you know, if you take everything into account, you know really like you said the depth of 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 Tenerife, which I think this does speak um, to more than um, than Cesar. But um, this this was uh, this was a, this was an extremely impressive victory. And and I mean they didn't shoot the lights out from three point range either. Um, uh, Tenerife they you know they they quote only shot thirty six percent, which you know it's decent but it's not phenomenal. But you know you look at seventy percent from 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 inside, um, and uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the bigs afterwards. Um, so let's move to the other game. Your notes on 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 Bakken Bears, a uh, team that that we love talking about, um, and here's another fun game that we can talk about. I mean, QJ Peterson had 35 points. <laughs> <laughs> what was there to add about this? Because the craziest part about his 35 points is that he had like five offensive rebounds, and he's mm-hmm. um, I don't think he's probably six old. 6-0, like, I don't think he's, he's 183 in centimeters, so that's 6-0 and beat. So basically, when the shortest guy on the course is able to get five offensive rebounds, that tells the whole game story for you. 21 offensive rebounds for um, for uh, Bakken Bears just dominated. Uh, it was 43 to 27 on the glass. Uh, and um, to me, one of the things that really surprises me is is how they how they can really get away with guys like Dioff and, and uh, Nyangwe taking threes. They were one of 11. And you, know, you look at Dioff and, and every, anytime he takes one of those, uh, those shots from outside, you're thinking, was that, was that planned? And then you see that the number of shots he's taken, it's, it's like, he's got the freedom to do it. Um, you know, Peterson, yeah. Peterson was a guy I couldn't wait to watch you know, right from the very beginning of the season, he's, he's my Zach Hankins from last year. Um, and, uh, I, 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 um, I hope, I kind of wish that Bucking Bears continue because I I really love the way they play. Um, and, and not to, you know, to, 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 to do anything bad to Bucking Bears, but if they don't make it, I kind of hope that somebody does grab him. Also, because I did say that he would be picked um, to be yeah. to to, to, yeah. to stay in the league, but man, he's so fun to to, to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I read about him before the season. Uh, one of the uh, one of the sites had him like he could average thirty a game in Denmark. Ah, come on, thirty a game is a lot. <laughs> and when you look at it, he's leading the league, the basketball champions league in scoring. So basically, it wasn't far off. I mean. It's just crazy kind of explosive energy to him that you can do nothing about. And when he's when he hits his first two shots, you're done. Because yeah. fucking Bears are such a tricky team. They they get you to thinking like these guys are playing five on five like a recreation tournament or something like that. But there, there's so many plans to their high energy, fast basketball, the weird looking shots. It's all planned because it's no coincidence that you keep grabbing 20 offensive rebounds. I mean, they've done it already to Sassari, they've done it to Galatasaray, so basically, 
there is a method to their madness. Well, heck, heck, they did. Tw- they gave twenty-one. Uh, yeah, twenty-one. And uh, Deshaun Stevens, who what do you have? Eleven in the last eleven yeah. offensive rebounds yeah. in the last game. He didn't have yeah. a single offensive rebound. So. Exactly. <laughs> Um, all right, let's let's move on to the next group. Um, Nimbrook uh, uh, demolishing uh, Dijon ninety four fifty four to move to four and one. Dijon drops to three and one, and the other game was Tofas Bursa uh, defeating Karafnos seventy eight sixty seven to move to two and two, and Karafnos dropping to zero uh, and five. Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you start again. Um, obviously, you know Nimbrook uh, winning the tiebreaker on that one. Uh, your thoughts on 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 either of those games? I mean, Nimbrook are crazy good. We, we talked about them that nobody expected them to be this good, but forty point win against Dijon is that's not going to happen again. That's just a great performance for them and really good for them to be up there but at the same time this group now becomes about Tofash and their road form because they are still alive at 2-2 two, two and two, but they have two away games against Nimburg and Dijon so basically mm. they're gonna have to win in France and in Czech Republic most probably because 3-3 three and three, I don't think it will get the job done 4-2 maybe even then you could end up in a Three-way tie at four and two and be out. So yeah, but I don't see Karavnos, who even just lost Hunt. Uh, I don't see them beating Dijon. So that's yeah. Well, you know, in, in a single game, anything can happen. Sure, sure. Uh, at, at the same time, I don't see Tomasz winning two games away. So especially against against Tomas those two Dijon. guys, against those two. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle for them. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I, I don't really have, I don't really have much to talk about Tofas, uh, and, and really the, the one note that I would just, I want to address now is, uh, it was, it was, uh, I was happy to see, um, Steven Zimmerman play really well. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy who really hasn't been able to, to do a lot. And it's, it's a team that's pretty, you know, kind of tight, uh, you know, uh, them losing Bocek, you know, obviously gives them a little bit of, uh, uh, of, you know, they need to figure out different ways to, to beat teams and whatever, but, you know, played really well, uh, 12 points on, on six field goals, two, uh, uh, two, uh, two of two from the free throw line, uh, three rebounds, but five blocks, you know, and that's kind of the, the game, you know, doesn't, um, it looks very easy for him and, and, uh, and, uh, he's long and, and, uh, just doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, whenever he's part of the team, uh, it seems like he, he does perform. And so I think this, I wonder if this is maybe a, a sort of a, sort of a breakout game where they, you know, he's, he's, you know, figuring out more ways to get involved. Uh, that was, that was my one thing of, uh, of X of many, because this was, a, this was a phenomenal game for, for Nimbrook. Yeah, I mean, Zimmerman is a really big guy. Like, I stood next to him at the final eight, and I just then realized, like, this guy is huge. I mean, he's really, really big, and if they get him going, and it seems to me that they are planning to use him as much as possible to see if he's cut out for this, because he opened up the game with, like, seven points in the first couple of minutes. Exactly, exactly. That must be a master plan to just get him going early and see 
what he does the rest of the way. Anything on Tofas? Uh, good to see my good friend Tomislav Zubcic getting back to Basketball Champions League action. He had the blooper of the season when he tried to pass and made the shot. I mean, that's just crazy. And kind of seems too little too late for Tofas to bring him on because we already said they have a tough task ahead of them, but nice to see him playing again. And you know what? It's, it's, it, that kind of seemed like a dagger because... Yeah. As strange as that may sound, because you know, uh, you know, Karavnos was was hanging around, and and that that made it sixty seventy six sixty two. So it was a fourteen point lead with two twenty, and you know he's joking, you know he's laughing, everybody's laughing because you go back and watch that, like because you will laugh, guaranteed. Um, but that took so much of the air out of you know like um you know the 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 pressure and uh, of and. And it really, as as that's probably the strangest dagger um, I I maybe have ever seen. I don't know if you really call it a dagger because you think that's you know a, a seven point lead with thirty seconds left, but you had the feeling of it because it took so much of the of the of the of the of the the tightness of it, you know. Because like I said, Kraftness really was sticking around even though they weren't rebounding and all. So yeah, so get this: like Kraftness started down at what zero and four, and basically they could have been. They could have won three games out of the four they lost. I mean, they had a double-digit lead against Topaz in their first matchup in Cyprus. They went to overtime against Dijon, and they were hanging around here until Zubcic made that dagger. So basically, a bit of luck, a bit of experience in these kind of games. They they, they could have been at three and two, basically three and one, three and two. For sure. Let's move to Group C, um, where we still have the possibility of a four-way tie. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, Paul Onet, uh, credit alone, uh, knocked off uh, knocked off uh, Ike uh, Athens 77-71 to move to three and two. Same record as Ike. Halone, uh, just like Cholet, owned the tiebreaker over Ike. Cholet. Uh, kept uh, uh, kept our, our 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 hopes of madness alive with an eighty nine seventy one home victory over Smoky Minsk. Both of those teams are two and three. Smoky Minsk uh, end the season playing Ike and um, Chalet uh, have the last game against Halone. So go for it, whichever one you want. Um, obviously, a much tighter game. With uh, Halone's win over Ike. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about Halone being the five out kind of offense. They stretch the floor really well. And kind of this this game showed a bit of an upgrade to their game because they are using Tyrus McGee as the point center. Basically, he's too strong for most of the guards uh, that are going up against him. And when you were able to post up your point guard, that gives you a whole lot of offensive firepower because there's no help. Like, big guys cannot help because if you help, the center of Cologne will make the shot from beyond the arc, the arc which happened in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And mm-hmm. basically, that, that's a nice little twist to Stefanos Dedas and his offense, and it really worked well for him. Now, the thing is, I think that Cholet are basically hoping for a four-way tie because the way it goes, I think they would end up first in case of a four-way tie. And 
some sort of like a um, small marginal win for them and uh, defeat for Ike would mean that they're first. Uh, what happens if they, if Ike defeats Smokey? Then Cholet have to defeat Holon by 11, I think. So that could be that could be like another game within a game to watch. Yeah, I mean, nothing against Smokey Mints, but it seems like I should be able to get that victory. Um, Halone and Cholet, and like we said, they they played the last game, and I, I believe it was. I don't have that. I didn't look at that, uh, but we talked about it last week with uh, C.J. Harris, who had a slight injury, which was the reason why he didn't play. Um, one guy that I really wanted to. Um, to to mention was for Halone, Willie Workman. Um, he, he only had seven points, nine rebounds, five assists. Um, had actually some pretty big free throws at the end of the game. Um, but just uh, just you know doing dirty work, you know, grabbing offensive rebounds and um, not flashy at all. But you know, especially a guy with all those other guys who are who are shooters. He's not a shooter really, so. You know, just getting in there, doing dirty work, and, and move, keep moving the ball. Um, I was really, I was really impressed watching him. You know, it's not a guy that I've really seen very much, but uh, I, I really appreciated what he did for for that team, and he played a real big role. Uh, ended up hitting a couple of big free throws to 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 then also get the the tiebreaker, which was had been four point victory for Ike, so they needed to win by at least five to to get the tiebreaker. So I, I wanted to mention Workman. Um, do you have anything? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Not not a fan of his hair, but <laughs> yeah, a good but... <laughs> fan of his basketball. So lose the hair, man, please. <laughs> um, I I don't really have anything on on Cholet um, and and Smokey Mince. Uh, you know, we we talked about Blakes and and, and Ravot just really playing great games. Um, do you have anything on them? Or no, I'm I'm gonna have something later on okay. uh, over time. So. Then let's move to Group D, uh, which saw Nizhny Novgorod. Uh, lose at home 90, uh, 98-92 in overtime to Saragossa, dropped to 3-2. and two. Saragossa moves to 4-1 and one and uh, and advances. Nizhny losing. The, um, I, I, I'm going to say a little bit of a heartbreaker. You know, they were up by 12 points in the fourth quarter, and then Benzin got hot and carried them, and um, they, they lost Strepkov and, uh, and, and, and Jankovic to, to, to fouls. Um, and, uh, you know, and then the fourth quarter, it was just too much, uh, Saragossa, just too many weapons. Um, that's in, in my eyes, you know, it was really kind of a heartbreaker for, for Nisney because, you know, th- these guys are playing fantastic basketball. I mean, they don't have enough weapons to, 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 to lose guys like that. Um, and they did everything that they should have done for whatever it was, you know, um, 35 minutes and, and, uh, and, and, but Saragossa, you know, they just have, you know, Benzing was all right. Um, I'll get hot and, and, uh, or I'm the guy who's, who's hot right now and they carried him back. Uh, so your thoughts on, on this one? Um, it's all about Zaragoza being the clutchest team of the league because they've got four wins. They secured first place in the group, but their four wins were, uh, last second shot by DJ Seeley, last second shot by Dylan Ennis, then a nine-point win against Falco, and an overtime win in Russia. So basically, well, if it's a close game, I'm kind of seeing Zaragoza win in every single game. Like they, They're not going to blow you out, but they just have so much experience. And Ennis, Thompson, Benzing, everybody. I mean, 
they can just put the ball into the hands of Dylan Anderson and watch him work. When he's playing such good basketball, he's the MVP of the month in Liga Endesa in Spain. So everything seems to be going for him, right? And with that kind of Ennis, you could go all the way to the final eight again. And uh, as for Nizhny, they still have everything in their hands because they have to face Falco in Russia mm-hmm. and they do own a five-point lead already. So basically just don't lose by six at home and that's it, you're true. Yep. Uh, I did forget to mention the other game that was uh, Falco Sympathy knocking off uh, Luplin uh, 83-59, 3-2 uh, and two for Falco, Luplin dropping to 0-5. Oh I don't really. We mentioned um, Verratti having the big nineteen eight and seven uh, game, uh, but I don't really have any notes on this. Yeah, I'm not to me either because it was a uh, the game was over before it began. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it was like thirty point lead at the halftime, so I'm um, kind of switched my attention to other games. All right, let's move to the final game. There was a Group F, a game day four makeup game. It was Pinar Karsiaka. Um, winning 80 to 69 to eliminate 42 to Bologna, who are uh, 0 and 4, Kashiaka at 2 and 2. Um, some big threes and uh, really just too much Raymar Morgan. Um, Bologna, 42 they, they hung around for a while, uh, but just you know, didn't have the fortitude. You like that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to get to come through with the victory. Um, thoughts on on this? Obviously, uh, Kashaka. Um, obviously, they're trying to hunt down. Uh, bum bum. Bilbao. Bilbao. Bil, yeah, they're trying to stay ahead of Bilbao, and uh, obviously, Bomberg is already through. So, any any notes on this one? I mean. I kind of feel bad for Fortitudo because they didn't have the best start of the season. They kind of had some injuries. They Their signing weren't the best. So basically, just like the season started a month later, we could have had a better Fortitudo. This way around, you have to feel happy for them that they are finally playing a close game away from home against Karciaka, which is never an easy task. But at the same time, Good games, close games don't count. Wins count. So basically, they're done without even playing one full game with their full roster and showing what they're capable of. Igor, I'm disappointed. I I, I gave you a chance to match my fortitude, and you didn't no, take it. No, so so I'm no going way. I'm going to do it. They seemed kind of hapless this season. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it was a hapless. Uh, <laughs> he was my pick for triple, triple, uh, triple double this year, and that didn't happen yet. Yeah. All right, let's move to overtime. Uh, let's start with the stat of the week. I'll let you go first. One hundred and fifteen is an all-time high for Ibero Sartenerife. They've been the team of the event since basketball Champions League mm-hmm. started. Their previous highs were one hundred and six points happened against Tibona and Capo di Orlando, and now 115 against Sassari, which is kind of connected because uh, Capo di Orlando and Sassari are both Italian teams, and at the same time, Sassari have three Croatian guys, and Tibona is a Croatian team, so basically they love playing against Croats and Italians. I have 40 
Uh, that was the uh, victory over, uh, by Nimbrook over Dijon. That was the biggest difference uh, in any game this season. Um, it was also the biggest loss by a French team in BCL history. Uh, just just a shock that a team like Dijon would lose by uh, lose by 40 points. Uh, overreaction Friday, going back to Friday this time. I'm going to say I originally wrote top five, and I think I'm going to have to go to more at least the top ten. I'm going to say Fran Guerra would be a top ten center if he played more with – Marcelino, obviously the Shermandini, uh, Marcelino pick and roll, everything is, is, uh, you know, well, well enjoyed and loved here, uh, in this competition. Uh, you know, he had 16 points, uh, in, uh, in 10 in the first quarter, had six rebounds and assist and a steal. Um, he went four of five and, and, uh, from the field, seven of seven free throws, but he's averaging 8.4 points, 4.8 rebounds, 1.1 assists. That's an 11.4 efficiency in just 14 minutes. And and if he had more time with Marcelino, you know, playing, playing with, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he can match Shermandini as far as being a pick and roll player, but I would think that he would be a much more productive player. Um, So that's what I got. What's your overreaction Friday? I have to overreact to your thing. I mean, (laughs) with all due respect to Frank Guerra, my dad was 66. If he played with Marcelino Huertas, he would probably be a top 10 center in the league. Uh, my overreaction is that Yohan Macundo Cholet will mm-hmm. end up in the NBA because he looks amazing. He's only 20. Mm-hmm. He can fly. He can dunk. He can shoot because he went 2 of 2 from beyond the arc uh, in this game. So someone to keep an eye on. I mean, it's no mystery that Cholet are really good with working with young players. They have their whole academy, which is well known around the world. And I think that this guy is the next guy who can make this transition and end up in the NBA. Yep, uh, definitely another and another French uh, talent. Uh, as if the country didn't have enough. Uh, did Did you know? I'll let you go. Uh, did you know that uh, Raymer Morgan? Played with Steph Curry. Uh, he was a part of the team uh, under, 19. The under 19. Yeah, in Novi Sad. And at the same time, they were uh, hapless <laughs> yeah. uh, against uh, Stefan Stojacic and Serbia and the guys who played in Novi Sad. It was a crazy atmosphere, one of the best under 19 events. But anyway, Raymond Morgan played with Steph Curry, Johnny Flynn, uh, Michael Beasley, all those guys that were on the US team in 2007. Yeah, should be. Did you know that Asim Marai's father, Asim Marai, the uh, new signing at Galatasaray, that his father, uh, Marai Ahmad, Ahmed, played, uh, is, the, is the Egyptian national team head coach, um, and he played against Oscar Schmidt, Drazen Petrovic, and Tenlo Riva, Andrew Gaze, and, and the like at the 1984 Olympics. Yes, uh, I mean, I didn't know that he was a coach, but I remember that Asim Mare had a well-known father in Egypt. Like he was the face of the basketball. He was the he led them. He led Egypt to their last uh, uh, African continental championship. They still haven't won since '83, which got them to the Olympics in '84. So 
That's Papa. That's Papa Marai. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, which losing team, let's say, of the good teams, that, or I don't, I don't like saying that, but which of the losing teams from this week are you most worried about? Um, I came up with this one, and and I didn't really know if I. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I guess I guess I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say Sasari, but. I, that would have to say so. I guess. I guess. If correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, if Sasari lose, if Sasari lose to Galatasaray, which is possible, uh, if they lose and um, and uh, and uh, and Balkan, Balkan would have to beat Tenerife, which I don't know about that. I can see Galatasaray knocking off Sasari, but I don't know if I can see. Um, Bakken as uh, uh, getting the job done. So, uh, but I would say the uh, that worries me the most the situ- situation there in Cesare. Now, looking forward to the top sixteen, uh, the um, the playoffs. Um, so I mean, this 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 is the thing. Like Sassari are basically they they had a long preseason with the Italian Super Cup and everything. They played a bunch of games already. They they already kind of look exhausted. And we already mentioned they have a short rotation. They had a couple of major injuries with Basa Pushica and now Jacques Devecchi mm-hmm. getting injured. And Philip Krushlin was sidelined for a long time. So it, they, it's beginning to take a toll on them. And at the same time, Galatasaray brought in three new players, really good players. And all of them will get a week or two weeks uh, to kind of get to know the rest of the team. And they will be a dangerous team to face Sassari. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Bakken are playing with so much confidence. They really feel like they could win against Tenerife. And Tenerife have, uh, they basically secures that they're going to end up first in the group. They have a tough kick trying to match up with Real Madrid and the rest of the guys at the top of the Spanish league. It's a long trip to Denmark. So just... If Tenerife aren't 100% focused on the game, which could happen, Bakken could steal the win and advance to the last 16. So, and, and I'm, I mean, also, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. I'm also mentioning Sassari in this, this part of the podcast because I'm really worried that it could go all, all south for them after they had been at 3-0 and to start the season. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that you, I mean, we saw fans in, at, at Nizhny Novgorod, um, and in two weeks time, you don't know, uh, you don't know what the situation with COVID will be in Denmark in two weeks. I don't, I have no idea what their lockdown is, what their, what their regulations are right now. Um, but it, their first home game, which I think was the third game of the season, they did have about 500 fans. So they might even have fans in the stands for that that game um and if it's live or die to go to the to the playoffs um as crazy as as a as a um as an atmosphere you can have during a pandemic that's still you know pretty 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 bad they might have that situation you know might they might have that crowd so um yeah it it, it's going to be fun the other team i was considering was ike but i just do not see ike losing to smoky minsk um so, uh, the team that lost that you're worried the least about. So we said, who are you worried the most about? Who are you worried the least about? I'll let you go. As much as I am worried about Sassari, I'm not worried at all about Dijon. Yeah. <laughs> because it's probably like 
the sporty point loss is just like a long season and you need something to kind of vent the frustration and everything. Just, you know, in Croatia, when we follow a lot of football over here, it's the sport number one. And every time, every single time that somebody loses like 5-0 or 6-0, the coach goes and says, we needed to lose like this because it's better to lose one game by 5-0 than to lose five games by 1-0. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's better for Dijon to lose one game by 40 than to lose 40 game by one. So <laughs> they, they needed something they, like they just They just couldn't hit anything. I mean... 25, 25% field goal percentage, five of 27, which is uh, under 19% from three point range. They grabbed 21 offensive rebounds against, you know, Nipperick's a pretty big team, you know? So, um, they just couldn't hit anything. You know, you, you looked at it and you're like, you know, um, you, you watch the game and you're like, man, some of these shots are going to have to start falling and none of them did. Um, and, uh, you know, e- even there was the one situation where, where Pruitt is out on the break and gets blocked and then, and then uh, the uh, uh, Nimbrick maintains possession, and then Pruitt gets the uh, the ball in the corner for a three pointer, and I think that was like a that was like a for an eighteen uh, point lead, maybe even bigger than that. Um, and uh, you know, that just seems symbolic. You know, it's like you know any anything that could go right, it actually ended up being wrong because it was a two it was a block of a of a of a dunk attempt, and it ended up being a three pointer. So just you know, this was yeah. the worst games. But yeah, no worries at all about Dijon. It's a small little hiccup all right uh let's move to the interview of the week uh we talked to grant jarrett from dashafaka tekvan uh so enjoy this and we'll catch you on the other side all right so on the show this week we have grant jarrett from dashafaka tekvan uh grant uh thanks for coming on the show oh thank, thank you for having me uh hope you had a a nice holiday season uh, I know you've been uh, a couple of different places now. Uh, how's the how's the holiday season uh, being away from home in the states getting along? I know this one was a lot different than any ones in the past, but uh, uh, is there is there anything that you've tried to to now be uh, to to make into a tradition now for you as a as an American basketball player outside of America during the holiday season? Uh, it's, it's always hard, especially this year. Um, I was hoping to have my family come out, but, you know, we figured it wasn't safe because of COVID. And, um, usually, um, you try and, uh, during the holidays, you just try and get with, um, the ones who celebrate Christmas and, you know, sometimes we'll make a meal, which we did this year, which was really nice. And, um, we kind of just hang out together and just be there together because, you know, we're away for our, from our families for about 10 months or so, and it, it gets hard at times, So, especially during the holiday seasons. But um, this year in particular is, is a little more difficult just because of uh, COVID and, you know, having to be inside and everything just being shut down. Yep. It's uh, crazy times we're living in, um, but really thankful. Uh, me personally, I'm thankful that you guys are uh, – are continuing to play because um, it means we we all yeah. get to see great basketball and you guys get to really still have a living, you know. And I'm sure that that's uh, also yeah, pretty pretty meaning, meaningful for you as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's get into the the BCR right away. Uh, your most recent game was against the reigning champions Hereda San Pablos Burgos, uh, and you guys lost seventy four. 
71 at home. It was, um, it came two weeks after you guys lost by 30 points in Spain. In that, in that previous loss, they kind of, uh, ran away from you guys really starting in that third quarter. They showed really what they, uh, are capable of doing and really blowing out, uh, opponents. Um, in the, in the second game, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas, uh, you guys had a lead and, um, and actually it was close really throughout. Maybe, maybe how much better do you think Dashafaka played in that second game against Sun Bubbles? Um, uh, tremendously better. Um, yeah, I, 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 we just, I mean, not that we weren't focused the first game. It's just, you know, uh, I just feel like everything, everything and everyone just kind of, you know, clicked together and, and, um, uh, you know, when you, when you lose by that much, you just, it is frustrating. You know, obviously, I don't know anybody who wants to lose by that much or lose in general. So, um, just by that, um, using that as fuel to, you know, for the next game. And I think we did that, but unfortunately we came up short and, um, thinking about it now, it still stings, but, um, you just got to move on from it and, and learn from it. Um, you managed just one point in those final two minutes against um, against Burgos, and in the second game of the the season, the team kind of struggled to execute in the final five minutes when you when you lost to uh, Brindisi by ten points. Do you see that this team is uh, is kind of having problems in the final stages of games, or, or it, I mean, I know it's just small sample, just two games. Is that something that that you that you think is uh, is indicative? Unfortunately, if, if it is. Um... I would say it's, uh, I mean, we, we have a very young team, which is no excuse, but I think at times, you know, when you have experience it it definitely can lead you, um, can lead you a long way. And, uh, I mean, having a new roster and, and, you know, some teams do it different. Um, some Americans stay, some don't, but having a new roster and, and a young team is, uh, it, it gets difficult at times and there are times that we struggle and, you know, as a basketball player, you know, you shouldn't in at certain times and whatnot. Um, but towards the end of the games, uh, uh, there were, there are some games that I could think of now that we have struggled, but um, I feel like it's just a matter of will and, and, and focusing together. And uh, I feel like age or whatever experience, it doesn't matter as long as, you know, you guys come together and, and, and bring that certain focus and mentality. Um, it shouldn't be a problem, but we have had those stretches near the fourth where we have struggled a bit. Uh, the first game of the BCL season, I can imagine, was kind of a relief. Um, you guys were struggling in Turkey at one and four. Um, when you look back on that first game, I know it seems like probably a long time ago, um, it was the five-point win over, over Ostend. Um, how do you, how do you call, how do you recall that victory? You know, what are some of the things maybe you and this team really look back on that, on that win and sort of, you know, try to recall in, in general? Um, it's hard to remember that, but I, one thing I can remember is, I mean, just starting off bad and, um, own four and whatnot and, and finally getting that first win. Um, it's just, guys just being pissed honestly um guys getting tired of losing and um 
and yeah, that's that's honestly really it. It's hard to think of the game exactly, but the, that feeling of starting off bad, uh, the pressure starts getting onto you from from the team or organization and whatnot. Um, so you just, you know, we just we're just tired of it. So we just just spark from you know having good practices leading up to that game and then putting it all out on the floor. We like to go back and kind of um, find out how players, uh, our players, got into the game. So um, you're you're actually from Costa Mesa, which is kind of near Port, uh, Newport Beach and Huntington Beach there, right along the coast. And uh, I guess you moved to Laverne, which is sort of uh, at the the foot of the San, um, San Gabriel Mountains. Um, maybe how and how and when did basketball find you? Well, actually, I grew up in Chino Hills, um, and then I I played uh, high school basketball in Laverne, which is like 20, 20 25 minutes from there. Um, but my father played basketball uh, in college, and um, I don't know, I just kind of, my brother, older brother started playing it, and then I started playing it, and, you know, I just, uh, kind of just a chain reaction. I just picked up on it from watching them, and. Um, I just got hooked on it. Um, I mean, my dad even played football, and I love football as well. They didn't let me play at the time, but as much as I wanted to, they let me stick to basketball, which I'm grateful for. But um, just from yeah, just from watching my dad and my older brother Miles uh, play, just kind of pushed me to um, just to keep getting better and um, learning from them. You mentioned Chino Hills. Um, it's hard not to hear Chino Hills and not think of the Ball brothers, the Ball family. <laughs> I know you probably don't yeah. hear. Um, is there? I mean, not there's no connection, but I mean, what can you describe? How would you describe, you know, that the basketball scene maybe in that area? So if that's sort of where you grew up and started playing, or would you say yeah. it's more towards the mountains when you guys moved out when you went out to high school? You know, where, where is the basketball where you kind of started to play? So, um, I mean, I think about it now. I mean, they just had two guys, both from, uh, well, I think one's from Chino. Other ball kid is from Chino Hills. But um, that area, uh, even Dana Sarasi, she's from Chino. Um, the Inland Empire in general it just has a, Sports-wise, old just old picked up basketball. It was very competitive. Um, the travel ball scene would take us, you know, from that area in the Empire up to LA, and um, just generally those two areas. And um, yeah, uh, it's just uh, it's not like Chino Hills was like the main area where we'd all play basketball. It was, you know, we kind of all carpooled and, and and played in different cities and whatnot. Um, but the fact that uh, maybe think about you know certain guys from Chino Hills like uh, the Ball Brothers and and uh, Onyeku I, I know I played with his older his older brother um, me just from being from Chino Hills is it, kind of kind of interesting but no it wasn't that certain area that was like a, it wasn't like a Rucker Park or anything in Chino Hills where everyone would come play. Okay. 
Um, you're you're a big who can who can shoot from outside. Um, I know when you're in high school, you know usually you know everybody. Uh, when you're a pro, you become a little bit let's call them a little bit more specialized. But uh, maybe who are some of the guy who who are some of your basketball role models growing up? You mentioned your dad and 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 maybe your brother. But you know, were there any players that you kind of looked up and, and sort of uh, patterned your game around? Uh, I wouldn't say pattern. I mean, up, growing up, I was a big Shaq fan. Um, I played nothing like him. No one does. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I would watch Tim Duncan or Kevin Garnett. I honestly watched everybody. There wasn't anybody in, in particular besides Shaq that I would like change the channel to watch. But I, I just like to learn from from anybody. I mean, I watched I watched Grant Hill just because of his name. We had the same name, and <laughs> I realized how good he was. Um, so I'd pick things up from him. Kevin Garnett, like I said, Tim Duncan big guys has always thought I was going to be a, a center or whatnot, but even from watching the guards to Kobe and, and T-Mac and Iverson and J kid, all those guys, you know, you just, uh, that was something I learned from my dad to just pick up, you know, little things from anybody that you can. Um, when you, when you went to, uh, Arizona, that was kind of, uh, Obviously, there was the the storied past with uh, Lute Olson um, and Sean Miller was there. I don't know, maybe three or four years by then, um, and it didn't quite have the the run of uh, of uh, of championships, conference championships, just yet. Um, maybe what kind of uh, decided? Uh, what made you decide on Arizona? Um, they recruit really well. Um, Coach Whitford was the main recruiter for me. Um, uh, I, I built a good relationship with him and um, seeing the facilities and, you know, uh, what they talked about, especially in the weight room uh, with Coach Browns um, and just the overall vibe and, and lifestyle of the school is something that, you know, I I thought was uh, something that I wanted and it not being crazy far from home. Mm-hmm. It was about like six, seven hours, eight hours, whatnot. Um, so that was those were all just plus and bonuses, whatnot. So, and you played, you know, played with some pretty, pretty big names, you know, Solomon Hill, Cal- yeah. um, Caleb, uh, um, also Nick Johnson, yep. uh, who will come back to Gabe York, uh, a couple of guys that BCL fans know. You played that one season there. You guys lost to Ohio State in in the uh, Sweet Sixteen. Maybe just in in general, your your big, your biggest and most and favorite recollections of that season. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the whole year was, uh, it was, it was a great learning process. Um, it was, uh, a lifestyle change, you know, being 18 years old, being away from home, um, learning a new system, learning how to play with, everyone who's just as talented as you are, you know, coming from high school, you play, you know, you're the guy and then you come be with a bunch of other guys who were the top guys in their schools or county states or whatever. Um, and then being at like skipping all that, but getting to the, uh, playing the NCAA tournament, you know, growing up watching that as a kid, uh, back then, you know, was, was huge. Um, 
And then leading up to the Sweet 16, yeah, that was uh, that shot they made. It was on me. It was uh, that was that was tough. It was um, obviously a heartbreaker losing on a game-winning shot. But overall, the whole experience, you know, tournament to practices to games in Mikhail to the lifestyle in Arizona was just it was phenomenal. Like I don't, it was. It, it, I think about it to this day. I still talk to people who aren't athletes um, that stayed on the same dorm as I did. It was just all such a great time and great memories. Um, I, I think you probably surprised some people even after just the one year. Um, maybe what were some of the biggest reasons to, to then enter the draft after just that first season? Yeah, uh, I just uh, I wasn't really sure. I, I wasn't comfortable. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a great year or a good year or whatever. Um, I just, I didn't want to sit out a year. So I was, you know, contemplating transferring. Um, and, um, that was, it was just a hard decision. I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of just grew some balls and just said, I'm just going to throw my name out there and just, and just go for it. But, uh, it, the main reason that I, I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, you know, they've, Kind of, it's not like they were, they they cared and whatnot, like trying to, not like they're trying to recruit over you, but they're bringing in new guys and whatnot. So I didn't know if I was gonna, I was gonna be used the way I was gonna. They say I was gonna be used, or I. It was just all a big question mark. So I didn't having that feeling of not knowing. That was uh, kind of the main reason why I left. And you got drafted second round, fortieth, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. You know, it's uh, yeah, really the, was... <laughs> the the dream of of so many people. Uh, only sixty guys every year. What was that? Uh, what was that feeling like? Uh, it was surreal. It was. Uh, I didn't believe it at first. I, it was. I, gosh, I, I think of all the workouts I did with the teams, which I was thankful enough to have. It was. It was fighting life or death, really, because I took this big risk of leaving college, not having a great year, and. Um, just it was just a gutsy call by me and it was a hard call to do but looking at it now i'm glad i did it and um because gosh i don't know how many workouts i did it was at least over 20 there was a lot of flying a lot of workouts and a lot of uh a lot of stress but it was uh it taught me how to if you really want something to grind it out and go for it i mean Obviously, you, you work your whole life to get to that point, but it was a little different that whole life. And then that little gap in my life was, you know, fighting with a lion in a cage with just a stick. That's what it was kind of like. So I really had to grind it out. And, and thankfully, I got called. And it was a special moment just being with my family. You ended up, uh, you were you were selected by Portland and they moved you on to Oklahoma City right away. And, and that first season you spent uh, with the G League Tulsa uh, 66ers. Uh, we're talking 2013-2014 right now. Um, and that 14-15 season you were still with the club or its, uh, or its G League team. Obviously, if you, you know, if, you, if people think about that time, um, Oklahoma City, you know, people think of uh, Kevin Durant and, and, and Russell Westbrook. I mean, you know, these guys, you know, you were on the roster with them, you know, interacting with them, practicing against them, whatnot. Um, 
you know, maybe what was it like interacting with two really, you know, at that point, you know, still slash already megastars? Yeah. Um, it was great. I mean, they're, uh, everyone said they're normal guys. Um, Russ gets a lot of <laughs> bad heat for the way he acts, but Russ is just a, he's a dog on the court and then off the court. We talk about cars and I mean, just, just normal stuff, life, whatever. Um, you know, KD was, he was great as well. All, all, all the teammates really were Perk learned a lot from Nick Collison. Um, they're all just, you know, they just do some stuff, just play basketball, you know, but they're just really good at it. But outside of that, they're just normal people. And uh, it's cool to just, you know, you know, watching them on TV and then you, you come and meet these guys and all oh, they're normal people and realize, you know, they do the same stuff everyone else does. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was uh, being able to watch Kev and, and Russ every day and, and see, how, you know, their greatness, their work ethic and um, – that was fun to to learn from them and and you know take tiny pieces from whatever you know they would talk about or show or whatever. And uh, sometimes we'd play one on one with Kev, but you know that was that was always tough. But I always learned something, so that was the uh, that was the best thing learning something from these older guys. And then uh, the end of the fourteen fifteen season, uh, they moved you on to Houston uh, to Utah. Uh, and uh, you had a chance to uh, to learn a little bit also from Gordon Hayward, who was really mm-hmm. that, that team's uh, you know best player. Um, you know, when you look back on on that season, when you know going from going from uh, Oklahoma City then to to, to Utah, uh, how would you you know maybe what are some of the, the biggest things you learned from that whole campaign? Um. I think the biggest thing I learned was uh, how it's, how the business works. Um, you know, it's, it's not personal, it's just business. And that's something I had to learn uh, being traded. Um, and then adjusting. Because if you get traded, you got to adjust to a new system, coaches, teammates, um, new home, um, all those things. So, um and it was it was a younger team, so uh, you know, coach uh, coach tried to involve me more vocally, you know, film or whatever. As I was in OKC, it was a lot of older guys, so I kind of just sat there and and you know, kind of listened to them and learned and picked up things. But um, being in Utah, I remember him, uh, Coach Snyder was just um, yeah, he just he called me out and he asked me a question about a certain thing in film, and I kind of was caught off guard, like oh. Actually asking me, and then you know I answered, and and he's just like, you know, this is we're in here to, for everybody to learn, blah blah blah, and um, and then at that point I was like, oh wow, this is uh, so this is what it's kind of like to you know to be with a amongst others your age <laughs> at the time um, instead of just learning from others, being able to speak out and and you know kind of point things out in film or whatever the case may be, so. Those were just adjusting and and uh, and uh, knowing that it's a business with it. The two biggest things that I had to learn at that time. Uh, looked around and really didn't find too much about the fifteen sixteen season. Read somewhere else something about an elbow injury that kept you out. Um, was uh, it? That's, 
that's why I hurt my shoulder. Shoulder. That's, uh, that's when I, yeah, shoulder injury. And that kept you out the whole year then? Is that, was that the? Uh, that was like six months about. That was the summertime of, of, uh, 15, 15 I believe. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, the next season you went back to the, the, the G league and, and then made your way to China. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, what made you decide on the CBA? I don't, I don't know what made me decide. I mean, the fact that I got to play with Marbury was, was pretty cool. Um, going, going up and watching him play. Um, but, uh, I don't know, honestly, I, I think about it now, like, you know, why didn't I just stay in the, in the, in the G league at the time, but I just went over to China and, you know, just experienced, uh, overseas life for the first time. And, uh, it was, it was interesting. It was, uh, they love their basketball out there. That's for sure. But, yeah, at the time, I'm not really sure why I took the jump over overseas. Um, you obviously you uh, experienced guys like Durant and, and Westbrook and and and, Hay- and Hayward, you know, up close and personal. Uh, but you also saw the other, you know, megastars, you know, uh, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, whatnot. Um, in in China, uh, I mean, obviously Marbury. You mentioned Marbury; he was a star in the NBA, but you know, he had really become a legend in in Beijing. You know, he led them to to, to three CBA yeah. titles. How would you compare, let's say, the love and following around Marbury to anything else you had seen around the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> nothing <laughs> different level yeah it's um i think someone told me it goes it goes jackie chan yao ming marbury wow. for celebrity status and i is I that is that everywhere in china or only beijing uh, or I, I think so uh i would yeah i would assume everywhere in china i mean the dude's got his own statue in a museum like it's <laughs> it's it's unbelievable <laughs> um yeah, I mean, people would always ask for his autographs, and I mean that—that's normal. But the fact that you have your own statue, you know, and you're not retired—that's a—that uh, says something. Yeah, I've been to Japan twice, um, and both time was uh, um, was absolutely fascinated by it. Um, you you spent uh, whatever it was two, three, four months there. Um, uh, I guess kind of what, what I read into it, one of the main reasons why you decided to leave was, um, you know, I guess there were four Americans for three spots and you basically had to rotate, sit out every fourth week. Um, you know, what did, you know, what did you think about that experience was, you know, was that what kind of happened there? And you said you wanted to, um, move on to try something else. Uh, what did you think about the, mm-hmm. the Japan experience? Yeah, that's, that's exactly uh, what happened. I mean, like Japan is one of the, is my favorite country that I've been to. Um, the people, the food, the culture is just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, they say how clean it is. It is that clean. <laughs> um, and, and that crazy. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I felt at the time I needed a, a to challenge myself more and I never played in Europe. So, um, uh, I just wanted to make the switch. And, um, I mean, from now I think Japan is, uh, 
I think they allow like three foreigners now or something. So I, I, that can play at the same time. So they're trying to get more competitive and I believe their league will. Um, but at the time, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, you didn't know if you were going to play or not. So they would just keep switching you in and out. So that was, wasn't frustrating. It was just kind of annoying. And um, I just wanted to, you know, try try something new. But everything out Japan is just, I, I, I miss and I honestly would love to go back. And uh, the sightseeing there is it, everything about it. I just, <laughs> I'm obsessed with Japan, honestly. So if anybody has a chance to go, they need to go for sure. And then you landed in, in you know, really uh, another, probably another culture shock. You know, you've never been, you know, you're from the States and uh, and whatnot and going to Igokea in in Bosnia, Herzegovina is probably, I mean, okay, you were in a big, you know, big city with Sarajevo, um, but uh, just an entirely uh, new, different uh, atmosphere. Um, what it, it was, also, you didn't play loads of games. Um, maybe just your, yeah. your thoughts about your first experience on uh, in Europe. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, just to be honest, the first time in, it was Bosnia, that was just awful. Um, that was, uh, one of the worst experiences I could have ever imagined. Um, that, uh, that kind of actually led me into, uh, sports psychology and mental health and things like that. So honestly, it was a blessing in disguise that I went there, but, um, I don't really have anything much to say about, um, uh, going there and, and and playing so um then let's move last season you you went to in in my opinion one of the more underrated organizations in europe with uh razio farm yeah, um, you know they seem to do uh more with less and really are are so well managed um what was it like for you to to really let's say pl finally play your first season in europe that was almost uh it was great their fans are unbelievable it was a packed house every night loud as can be um had a good group of guys too which which made it great um americans the germans we all we all hung out together a lot and it, it made it it made the experience it, it made the experience a lot better um not just going there to just play basketball but actually you know almost basically create a family and um yeah they just uh, the arena was beautiful. They have their own practice facility now. They're 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 doing a lot uh, from what I've seen. Like traveling, playing, like especially being here and then being in home, traveling to different um, uh, different uh, away games and whatnot, and seeing how these organizations deal with uh, their players or um, how they manage things and whatnot. Ohm does it uh, pretty professionally, honestly. Um, Meals after the game, they got their own practice facility. Uh, they're they're trying to do it right, and it's really impressive. Um, but yeah, last year was uh, it was a great experience. Met a lot of great people, um, and then but COVID happened, so it cut it short. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I mean that that was also a special season for them. You know, that was first season with Torsten Leibnacht, uh not as the coach, and they replaced him with uh, Jaka Lokovic. Um, and, yeah. and also gave the keys to the car to a, to an 18 year old, uh, with Killian Hayes, <laughs> you know, maybe what yeah. was it, what was it like playing with the future, uh, lottery pick? And then at the same time also playing for a 
past Euroleague champion as coach? Um, playing with Killian was great. Uh, just uh, I was so excited. Uh, this was like the first year that I actually cared about the draft, other than the, my year, obviously. Uh, it was just like a little brother. Like he was just just a good kid and uh, a really good basketball player. So uh, being able to play with him was uh, it was fun. It was a good learning experience for everybody. He learned a lot. He grew. So that's. Uh, being able to see what he can do in the future, I'm excited. Um, and then first time coach uh, Yaka, uh, it was um, it was interesting. It was a, a lot of a, a lot of things I didn't understand, you know, um, from a coach's perspective, you know, things that he wanted to do and uh, or whatever the case may be. But he did a great job, you know. He was he he played obviously, and he was a pretty good player. And, uh, he understood, he understood, you know, the grind and things like that. So, um, you know, when things got tough, he was positive and he tried, he, he did his best and he tried, you know, to make us feel comfortable. And, um, that's something that I really appreciated out of him was understanding that, you know, there's good days and bad days and to always be, you know, as a coach and, you know, be positive and encourage your team and, you know, whatever the case may be. And I feel like he did that. This off season, uh, you decided, um, to go to Doshafaka, maybe the, some, the biggest factors in the move there. Um, I, I, I didn't know anything, anything about this uh, organization. I didn't even know they won Euro cup. Um, but you know, my agent was just telling me, um, you know, Istanbul, um, you know, nice city, um, and being able to play against, you know, good competition, uh, that was in champions league. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, being able to talk to the coach and, you know, seeing who you're going to play with, but, you know, I think just the competition wise, you know, the Turkish league is, is pretty good Europe wise. So, um, that was, I think the, the, I think that was the main thing, just competition. One of the things we like to have on this podcast is the fans of the BCL uh, give them a chance to ask questions. Um, Ed uh, on Instagram, um, Ed Mutlu uh, asked a couple of questions, uh, combine the two, maybe the best shooter uh, or best guard you played with. I have a feeling I might know the answer, but I'll let you answer it nonetheless. Uh, best shooter or guard I've played with? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I had to give that to Kevin Durant or, or Russ. Uh, best shooter. Uh, gosh, I mean. Our underrated shooter. Somebody who might not think so are good shooter. <laughs> I mean, there was a player in Japan that I've never seen shoot the lights out like that. But, I mean, to play against shooter-wise, obviously Steph or Clay. I'm trying to think on my team, though. Uh, yeah, Durant's a pretty good shooter, so we're we're okay with that one. Uh, Logan, yeah, Logan, on on look. Um, what what was the biggest impact on you during your basketball journey? Uh, the biggest impact on my basketball journey, I think. 
coming home from uh, Bosnia and really working on my mental part of the game, my mental health, I think that's been been the biggest impact for me so far in my career. Um, yeah. Um, Matthew Nielsen, six nine six nine six nine. If you could take any skill or trait from any basketball player in history, what would it be from whom and why? Um, that's good. I would say. Kobe, or I would even Allen Iverson. It's like Michael Jordan, Kobe, or Allen Iverson. Either one of their mental part of the game. Because if you if you have that mentality of being able to just destroy or destroy anybody in any field that you do, whether it's basketball or your work or I mean baseball, hockey, whatever it is, I feel like you can accomplish anything in life when your mind is that strong. And looking at those three guys, their minds were that strong, um, which made them so great. Same, Matthew Nielsen, six nine six nine six nine. Your go-to shoes for basketball and casual? Uh, lately, it's been the Hyper Dunks. And then these new ones that came out, I'm not a huge fan of, but the ones last year's and the year before I really prefer. Um, but when I'm not... Usually I'm at home in California, so by the beach, so I'm either in sandals or I wear some PF flyers. <laughs> Got to ask shoe questions. It seems like um, uh, so many basketball guys are are shoe guys too. So, uh, last question from from fans: um, C Aguilera ninety three. How does it feel knowing the Rams made the playoffs? Oh man, it's great. Uh, it's. Uh, it's hard to watch football out here because it comes on so late, but I've been a Rams fan since they were in St. Louis with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, oh, Tory okay. Holt, and Isaac Bruce and those guys. So and whenever whenever the Rams do well, I'm excited and happy. So um, let's see. Hopefully we can get this win against the Seahawks. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I missed the playoffs last year after going in the Super Bowl the year before. Yeah, man, it's uh, I I can't be that mad because we yeah, made the Super Bowl. <laughs> Wasn't that McVay's yeah, first year well, too, right? Yeah, but the the drought we had from like oh five to uh, like, I don't know, past eleven or twelve. I don't know. It was it was tough to watch just watching Steven Jackson just run the ball the whole time because no one else could help him. So. Uh, I'm happy where we are. <laughs> I'm I'm a couple of years older. I still remember Eric Dickerson. Uh, um, even yeah. So that was um, last non basketball question on Instagram. I know you're not really that active on there, but uh, in your bio reads, "Donuts are life." Got to ask what that's all about. <laughs> um, uh, donuts are my kryptonite, man. I love them. Um, growing up, my dad he'd always. Um, come home late from work, and sometimes he would he would have donuts in the microwave for us. So I got hooked on from him, and um, those are those are my special treat. I love I love donuts um, from the mom and pop shops to Krispy Kreme to even the new trends like Sidecar and whatnot. They're all great. I love them. <laughs> Anywhere outside the states that has any sort of let's call it underrated donut game. Outside the states, I don't know. Uh, 
I haven't, I haven't really like. I mean, I've had some here in Turkey that they're they're not great. It just tastes like bread, but uh, okay. uh yeah, I don't know. Not even I didn't. Not even in Germany. I don't think there were any in Germany actually. No, not that I can remember. No, not no, not really. Uh, well, they have these Berliner, which are the cream filled. Um, but anyhow, um, let's go. Let's go back to basketball. Yeah. Um, you guys, you guys had a, had a run in the Turkish league, four wins in five games. Uh, now you've lost the last two. Your next game is actually against Turk Telecom Ankara. Um, like we mentioned, your former college teammate Nick Johnson's playing there. He didn't play in the first game you guys had against him back in October. How excited are you uh, about playing against Nick Johnson, um, former uh, Arizona um, teammate? It's always exciting to play against a familiar face. Um, it'd be just good to see him and then just compete against him. Um, talk a little crap here and there on the court. But other than that, uh, it'd be good to see him, give him that L. So you got to get this win. So whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to the BCL, of course, that comes just before the big return leg game against uh, Brindisi. At home next week, they had a ten-point victory. Um, what do you guys need to do to win? And how confident is the team going into that game? Um, we're very confident. We're hungry, uh, tremendously hungry to get these wins. We need them. Um, but to get this win, we just need to uh, we just need to come together with this with this with this focus that you know. That there are going to be some mistakes, but we need to get the goods to, out, to outweigh the mistakes. Um, whatever it may be with the assists or the steals or deflections or um, offensive rebounding, whatever it is, we need to make the, make sure those things um, outweigh the bad. And uh, obviously, you keep turnovers low. So uh, whatever the game plan is uh, at that time, do it and have each other's back out there just to confident wise. That's, you know, whatever, honestly, whatever it takes, but turnovers and, uh, doing the small things. And to, uh, last one, uh, finish this sentence. Dasha Faka Tekfen will reach the basketball champions league playoffs because. Because we just start winning. Uh, we just, our defense is, you know, picking up deflections and picking up steals and we're just playing aggressive and yeah, we're just moving the ball and we're playing, we're playing fun and, and, and full of confidence. All right. Fantastic. That was Grant Jared from Dasha Faka tech fan. Thanks uh, Grant for taking some time out and uh, good luck. Uh, the final two games of the regular season and for you and your fans, uh, the, the uh, beginning of, of uh, more games to come. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, always, always have to love hearing stories um, about playing alongside Stefan Marbury in China. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine uh, how big of a star he is. I've, I've uh, just, I mean, you were in China. Did you ever uh, at the at the FIBA Basketball World Cup? Did you? I, I was there as well. I was in. Uh, I don't remember where it was. Doesn't matter. Um, but did you have any sort of? Uh, did you have any sort of a feeling of uh, of Marbury, and then and after that, if you want to just touch on on, on Dasha Vaka, uh, uh and Jared, if you, if you want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
it was one of the last games uh, in Beijing, so the biggest arena, the biggest crowd, the biggest attention and everything. Uh, Kobe was there, uh, Manu Ginobili was there, and a bunch of, I think Chris Bosch was also there. So basically, they would, in game breaks, they would show them on the big screen, and then the crowd would go mad. Like, they show Kobe, and everybody starts just screaming, like it's the Beatles. They show Ginobili, everybody starts screaming. And then they show somebody else, and it's madness. And then they showed Marbury, and I, I thought the, the roof was going to fall off. <laughs> because like, he has a statue over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that says it all. Yeah. Um, thank you to, to all the all the people who sent us questions. Uh, that was just a selection of the questions that we received on Instagram. Keep keep doing that. We love uh, I love being able to ans- ask those guys questions. You guys are um, always always ask some fun questions. That gives us a chance to uh, to touch on some different uh, fun subjects. Let's move to next week's games. Um, we have a we have six games for Tuesday. Uh, just run down a list of them really quick. In Group E, we have Peristeri against Ritos, a battle of one and three teams. There is also the Group H, a huge game. Igokea hosting Limoges, two and two, one and three. Bamberg at undefeated, four and zero, hosting Bilbao at two and two in Group F. The other Group F game is Fortitudo at zero and four against Kashiaka, fighting uh, to to stay alive for the playoffs at at two and two in Group F. Uh, there's a uh, there's a group uh, game day seven, group B makeup game which is uh, enormous Dijon against Tofas, uh, three and one Dijon Tofas at two and two, Dijon obviously have the six point victory eighty seven eighty one from their previous game, and the other game is uh, group H with Burgos uh, at three and one uh, hosting Ostend at one and three. Any of those really stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, Igoke against Limoges could be a big one because it seems that Odette Katos is going to leave Apple Jerusalem, so that kind of just opens up the door for either Igoke or Limoges to uh, advance to the last 16 along with Turk Telecom. Yeah, uh, obviously that's a that's a big one. I think also the Dijon one against Tofas. Uh, if, if, if Tofas is going to have enough to, to really... Um, you know, get a bounce back team. You know, it, it's also you know Dijon doesn't have to wait two weeks. You know, they can play again next week. You know, and with this format, that is that does mean something. You don't have to wait. You can go get that. You know, make right every, all the mistakes you you made last week. So, uh, group uh, on uh, on Wednesday is uh, Dashafaka uh, against uh, Brindisi. A big game there, one and three. Dashafaka, Brindisi, three and one. Um, and uh, you mentioned Hapol Jerusalem, two and two, uh, hosting Turk Telecom at Anchor at three and one. And then in Group E is the, the big game, probably first first place, I would imagine. Stras- Six Strasbourg hosting Fevriga, both teams at three and one. Uh, a couple of good games there. Which one do you have most of your attention going to? I mean, Strasbourg against Riga because this is this is gonna be like a, a battle of the feel-good teams of the league so far. So basically, either one of them could win the group here and kind of feel like Riga will have a bit more motivation since the last time they met, they lost on a buzzer-beating shot. So that kind of always you always have a memory of the last matchup and that gives you just that extra bit of bounce to your step. 
and that they could got to win in France. Totally agree. Can't wait to watch that. Uh, also, get, I am happy anytime I can watch Favriga play. Um, it's so much fun watching them play this year. All right. So that is the show this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is basc- uh, basketballcl. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's the mobile app. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the email address is info at championsleague.basketball. The website is championsleague.basketball. The, all of the games are live and on demand on live basketball TV. Uh, just up today is Deacon Lloyd Smith's uh, piece that we talked about last week uh, called Building a Champion. He talked to the general managers of Tenerife Ike and Burgos. Uh, they know what it takes to build a champion, so go grab, go check out that piece. Of uh, Igor, uh, any last messages uh, for for the BCL fans? Uh, just stay safe, guys, and enjoy basketball. Sounds like a great way to end the show. We will talk to you next week.